0: Our scripture reading for today is Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, and Matthew 12, 15 through 21. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud, or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And then from Matthew, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah.
1: well i'm very excited about starting this series with you on isaiah Uh, and isaiah the four servant songs of isaiah Uh, it's it's really fascinating you know you interact with people how god brings you affirmations encouragement so some of you know i work for an organization called anago that's the greek word for lead where i'm coaching pastors and i'm coaching a pastor some of you know gordon fleming who is the pastor at the Cotswold site in Charlotte with Hope Community Church. And so we were just chatting this week. He said, what are you going to be preaching on at North Cross? And I'm going to be preaching on the songs of the servant from Isaiah. There are four of them. And he goes, that's, that's amazing. He said, you know, my father-in-law, some of you know Jim Callum Church at Charlotte, in Charlotte, who was there for many years. Uh, Gordon asked his father-in-law after he retired, when you think back over all the things you preach through, and he is an amazing teacher or preacher. If you have ever had the chance to hear him or go online and listen to his sermons, he's a great exposer of the word. And he didn't hesitate. He said, Gordon... It was my preaching through the servant songs in Isaiah, or the things that I remember where God met me and met our church. So uh, that was like a, just a little, like, you know, love tap from God saying, Yeah, you're on the right track, you know, because I think God has great st- things in store. I believe God has great things in store for us as we study this together. So, as most of you know, as we go through these, I'll probably spend two weeks on each one. So there's Isaiah 42, 49, 50, and the one most of you know is Isaiah 53, and uh, so I'm excited because what we're focusing in on in our pre- my preaching this this spring winter spring is getting a fresh vision on being a sent church, and so when we look at Jesus' call and what how he understood his calling. Uh, These servant songs, one commentator says, they are the blueprint for Jesus' mission. These are the things that Jesus as a young boy, uh, like Samuel's age, you know, was going to synagogue, studying the big scrolls in Isaiah and reading these things. And so wouldn't it have been grand to be there when he's listening to the rabbi teach or he's actually learning to read the scroll himself and he reads it and he goes, this is about me. You know, what would it have been like to be there and just, you know, be able to sort of be there as a fly on the wall, but more than that, be able to say, hey, Jesus, what are you feeling right now <laughs> when you read Isaiah 53, that you will be crushed for people's iniquities? What, you know, what, what would it be like? So I'm excited about to do that. And so this morning, we're going to spend a couple weeks here because as uh, my dad loved to say to me, when my dad loved to eat all kinds of stuff at steak. He was the best, you know, wings guy you ever tasted. And so I'd eat my steak and say, son, there's still some meat on the bone, <laughs> you know. Uh, or I'd eat some, some of his great uh, barbecue chicken and I'd eat it and throw it down, and he goes, son, there's some meat on the bone. So there's a lot of meat in here, and so there's no way in 30 minutes or 45 minutes, no, I'm not going to go that long, is, is that you can get to all of it. But I want to whet your appetite for really spending time on your own in these passages. So here in Isaiah 52, here's where God uh, starts. And when, even I'm saying that, I'm going to stop and pray for a second. Uh, Father, we pray now that you would visit us um, with your son's voice. Jesus, you said my sheep will hear my voice. We pray we would hear it for ourselves and for our church, for we ask it in your name for the Father's glory. So in Isaiah 40 through 66, there's 66 books in Isaiah. The first 39 are what's called the book of judgment. In other words, God's bringing his judgment through the prophet Isaiah against the nation of Israel, which is known as the servant. Israel is called the servant of God. So this language of corporate and individual servant kind of intermix, and of course, we know the obvious is that Jesus is the servant, but Israel's called the servant. So in the first 39 chapters, and just a quick fun aside, when I was a young pastor, and I did know better, and I was a, more of an expository preacher, I preached through the whole book of Isaiah, 66 chapters. And you know, when I got about halfway through, people go, who are you ever gonna get out of Isaiah? <laughs> you know, you know, like, you're killing me, you're killing me, walls. Like, you're just, you know, why are we still in Isaiah? I want something new, But had so much fun teaching through it, and a lot of people made fun of me over the years for preaching through the whole book of Isaiah but I fell in love with Isaiah. And actually, there's a woman who heads up women's ministry in Richmond. Uh, who um, She's an amazing woman, but I met her when she was a student at Way Forest. And she was one of those people that she would show up with her Bible and her notebook, and she would take notes. She was just writing notes. And I saw her recently... Um, and she came up and said, Clyde, you'll never know what that series on Isaiah did for me. So don't, not to worry, we're going to do all 66, but what we're going to talk about here, hopefully, five years from now, two years from now, you'll say, hey, that God really spoke to me. He really met me through this passage. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the courage to serve, because if you're going to be sent as a church, you're going to serve. We're going to talk about if you serve, you're going to suffer, the courage to suffer. You know, it's the old one-liner joke where the guy says, you can uh, call me a servant, just don't treat me like one, you know? So a lot of us want to serve, but when people don't appreciate or notice what we're doing and they don't, you know, see you at first, like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's like, all well, great. So, uh, But if you understand the gospel and who Jesus is for you, not only do you want to serve people, but you're willing to be taken advantage of, not appreciated, underappreciated, overlooked, because you're serving someone greater than them. So the, the courage to suffer. The third one is the courage to surrender. So right here at the beginning of the text, notice how it shifts from Isaiah 41, and there's some good stuff right at the end of the chapter, but God says, Behold, which he is announcing, there is going to be the servant. So notice what he says. He says, Behold my servant. Now notice how personal God is with his servant. We know it's Jesus, but just notice that, because if you get a hold of Jesus for yourself, you'll go from that's Jesus to that's my Jesus. I'm his son, I'm his daughter, I'm his brother. I understand I'm in a friendship with God, I just don't know about God, but I am a friend of Jesus because he is my friend. So my servant, now notice the the ways that the servants describe, because this is critical to having courage to get into the community and mix it up with people who are broken and lost. He says he's chosen, my chosen. Um, If North Cross is going to be as effective as it can be, there's going to be this sense that we're called to do this, but we've been chosen to do this. One of my favorite experiences in Haiti, on a mission trip there, working with a a group of people in Haiti, is that we were taking a pick and we were digging the really hard ground to lay a wire to run from the school to the medical clinic in this missionary compound north of Fort-au-Prince, and it was hot and I was miserable. And you know, it's kinda like you throw the pick and you, you just feel it, it just goes right up your arms, it hurts your arms, hurts your chest, you know, sweat's dripping off of you. I'm going, man. I hate this. <laughs> you know, I this, you know. I, you know, can we pay somebody to do this? You know, so but you know that's part. I got to lead by example. I have to serve. Okay, so you know I'm hitting the ground as hard as I can, barely making a dent. And there was a young guy, like some of the guys we have in here. He was ripped. He was strong. He got up there with that pick, and he is just wailing away. And he's getting down into that hard soil. And uh, he came back at me sw- dripping in sweat. He said, Hey, Clyde, can you believe it? We get to do this, <laughs> we get to do this. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do this, you know. But we get to when you know that you're chosen, um, you realize, I get to do this, I get to go volunteer at the pregnancy care center, I get to go to this nursing home, I get to do. I- Man, what a privilege. I get to do that because you know you're chosen. But here is the thing that goes with that. Notice what God says about his servant, in whom my soul, God refers to himself as having a soul, delights. You ever been around somebody who's really being delighted in what they're like, uh, how much fun they are to be around, uh, just to watch the delight going on? Uh, last night, of course, we were at a great wedding, a celebration. And I know Gracie Petty, because she grew up in uh, uh, our church. You know, I met her when she was probably mm, nine, ten years old. Now she's getting married. And uh, her dad absolutely delights in her. And she just radiates it. She just radiates it. She is a young woman who's delighted in, and now to meet her, Husband, I've been around him a little bit, but actually to see him at the wedding and watching them dancing together, I saw amazing delight. I mean, it's just like, wow. I get a little front row seat here. But here's the thing that most of you would have loved to have seen that I saw last night, which made my evening, made the trip worth uh, the price of admission, uh, was that uh, there was another elder who's there, and when their daughter Claire was three she had a seizure and she sneezed and the last thing she verbally would say from that point on to now is god bless me and she had this great grandma seizure almost died but over the years she she can't speak she's very severely handicapped her whole parents life changed at that time now i know her parents really well they're dear friends of Valerie mine Uh, But uh, uh, Jeannie, the wife, the mother, you know, she's with all these other moms who had nicknames for their group. And so, as as the years have progressed, she has talked to me about the pain she feels because Claire is arrested at three years old, mentally. And she's watching her other friend's daughters grow up. And actually, one of the girls getting married last night is in this group of moms that all know each other. So, there's a deep sadness there. But there's also this commitment that Jeannie has to her daughter to take care of her, which is, you know, talk about serving. Oh, my goodness, it's so glorious. But her husband, John, uh, so we get up and we start, uh, you know, dancing. Play that funky music, white boy. You know, we're jumping up on there, we're dancing, we're having fun. And John takes his daughter, who is probably in her early 20s now. I mean, she can't speak. She's just very limited physically. He takes her out on the dance floor, and they're dancing together. And I'm watching John delight in Claire. Wow, what a gift. And, you know, Claire can't talk to him right now, but I bet when they get in heaven, she's going to say, Dad, you'll never know what that meant to me, what that meant to me. You see, the privilege of being called by God and going to serve people is to delight in them. But you can't give that if you don't have that. It's hard for you to delight in other people unless you really are being overwhelmed with the delight that God has in you. And then notice what God says, I'm going to uphold my servant. He says that I, um, yes, you know, whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him, and he will bring justice to the nations. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped over uh, whom I uphold. And you can look at Isaiah 41.10. We'll go back to that next week. But God says, I'll put my spirit upon him. So God's anointing his servant. We talked about that last week. We talked about what it means to know you're anointed, which one of the ways you can remember this, it is you know you're special. You know you're special because you feel God's presence. You're aware he is with you even when you're a hot mess, even when you're just failing miserably. You know that he's with you and he's not gonna leave you, no forsake you. You feel anointed by God and you're feeling and asking yourself, God I need to know your love for me. I need to know how you delighted me. I don't understand why you would but I need to know how this works. So that leads us to the courage to suffer because notice what God says his servant's gonna do and this is really important to not miss. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, in Hebrew, there's two key words for justice. One is to bring restoration. In other words, to work really hard to make the order of your community, your country, whatever, what God intended it to be. There's justice that's uh, punitive. You bring justice against those who corrupt, those who steal, those who do horrible things. But this is to have, I want justices to have a vision for shalom in people's lives. To bring shalom into families, to bring shalom into community. We want North Cross to flourish, bring justice to bear that things are the way God intended them to be. And we're addressing them practically as servants and doing those kind of things. Um, So there's lots of great histories because in in, uh, the history of the church, but notice what God says. My spirit will be upon him to bring forth justice to the nations, not just to Israel, but to the nations. Now, if you haven't read this book and you like history, and for some of you it's audible or whatever, but uh, to read Thomas Cahill's book, How the Irish Saved Civilization, and some of you have Irish roots and backgrounds in there, but to read that story of how what God did in Ireland, what he did through the Irish is unbelievable in terms of how we are the beneficiaries of what God did in Ireland. Now, we don't have a lot of time this morning to talk about it, but trust me, if you'll read it, you'll kind of step back and go, this is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does among a group of sin people because they were people who came under the ministry of Patrick, St. Patrick as we know him, whose lives were changed, and they began to address the cruelty of the the lords there, the warlords, the people there who were just like Vikings. They were cruel. It was, I mean, it's just, you don't even want to read about it. You just didn't know. It was so bad. But Patrick... Led a group of people to preach the gospel to them. They changed. Churches were planted. Things. The whole culture was transformed because of Patrick. Now, if some of you uh, keep hearing me mention this book, and let me tell you, it, I just finished it. It's called "How to Pray for Normal People." Uh, but in the book, P- Peter Grieg develops biographies of people who are known as great prayer warriors. So. I would encourage the parents here to get the book and read those short biographies to your children, for you and for your family, Uh, just to say, here's the story of Brother Lawrence. Here's the story of Johnny Johnny and Tata. But he's got a chapter in there on the hero of spiritual warfare, Patrick. And if again, you know Patrick's story. He was captured as a young boy from England, took as a slave to Ireland. Um, While he is in Ireland, he becomes a believer through a missionary there. He goes back to England. God calls him back to Ireland. But if you read any of his history and story, he says, When I was a shepherd, much like King David was a shepherd, he said, I learned how to pray as I was protecting my sheep. But again, when you look at the success that Patrick's ministry had in the church in Ireland at that time, it's all attributed to learning how to pray spiritual warfare prayers. And for some of you, this is critical to why you're so overwhelmed, stuck, and you can't get past yourself, is because you're not tuning into the spiritual warfare you're in. You're not, uh, you haven't understood how to pray the way God teaches his people how to pray. Now in that book, there's one beautiful section on how to pray warfare prayers. We'll come back to that uh, next week. So, but that justice would come uh, through God's people. Now again, we're gonna, this is Sanctity of Life uh, Sunday. We can all celebrate the laws have now been overturned, Roe v. Wade, And it is now true that the law of the land is abortion is either limited or illegal, or it has to be decided by the states. Uh, Regardless, to be come out from the oppression of that law is like, you talk about tremendous answer prayer. So let me tell you a little bit of my story, uh, is that as a young believer, I got it fairly quickly, the importance of the sanctity of human life, how wrong abortion was, and I've been in Washington twice, uh, marching with 100,000 plus people protesting on January 22nd, Roe v. Wade. So I've been there. I've been in those marches. I've also been involved in starting two pregnancy care centers. So uh, the one in Winston-Salem is called Salem Pregnancy Care Center, and there were just a handful of us in the early uh, 80s. Said we've got to we've got to answer this terror. I mean, we don't see ways for mothers who have unwanted pregnancy to get help. So a few of us got together. We started praying. God called these two women to start it. And if I was to bring Joan here today and she would tell a little of her story, she would just talk about how God called her to start Salem Pregnancy Care Center. But because she would want to talk about how the role Redeemer Church played in helping it get started. Every time I see her, she almost gets misty-eyed. She goes, Clyde, um, you'll never know what Redeemer meant to me and what it meant to me that day. You handed me a check for $500 because I didn't see how we could make it. But that $500 gift gave me courage to want to continue to be involved in the battle. Now, here's the thing I want you to notice. And Again, this, this will preach, so here we go. Uh, notice that how God brings forth justice to the nation. He says he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, and make it heard in the street. In other words, he's not a power broker, he's not a megalomaniac, this leader is not gonna come screaming, shouting, demonizing, vilifying his opponents. Notice what this servant's gonna do. He will not cry aloud like that, but a bruised reed he will not break, and a fainting, burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. A bruised reed he will not break, a flickering wick he will not put out. When Jesus comes, gentle and lowly, and we watch the way he interacts with broken people, with bruised reeds, uh, with flickering wicks of people who are hopeless, um, you know, we see the way Jesus treats people and relates to people. So let's go back now to Washington, D.C. I'm in the crowd of 100,000 people one of the leaders up on the platforms talking about our need to overturn Roe versus Wade. And uh, and while she's talking up there, she said, we've had an olive branch re- uh, reached out to us uh, by the uh, pro-choice people. And, uh, and I wanna tell you today, we will not sit down with those baby killers. And you could just feel in the crowd this, because it was, you know, we're here to pray, we're here to worship. And just the way she said it, the anger, the pain, the hurt, whatever, that is not the way we're gonna reach pro-choice people. (laughs) You know, I'm sorry, that's not what we're gonna do. The way we're gonna reach pro-choice people is that in the early 80s, there were a handful of uh, pregnancy care centers around the country, there's now over 300, there's unbelievable ministry. But the way that we're gonna bring justice is to sit down with women who are in crisis, men and women in crisis, and say, there's another way. You do not have to kill your baby, okay? You don't have to do that. And just the way you can see how the culture, the way the culture's been influenced, not by people who are yelling and shouting and screaming, baby killers, Uh, but they've been speaking softly and gently by serving people, by creating venues where they can come and get help. You see, the world doesn't care who we are until they know how much we care and the way we demonstrate how we care for people who are hopeless. Uh, Tim Keller has a great line on these verses right here. He says, Jesus is incurably in love with the hopeless. Now, if we were to sit down, you know, have coffee afterwards or talk over lunch, I'd say, who are the people in your life that you see as hopeless? Hopeless. Or you know, they would self-identify as hopeless. Notice what Jesus says, or what God says about Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break, a flickering wick he will not put out. Uh, Some of you are old enough to remember this. When I was younger, a little guy, I got a transistor radio and I'd listen to Motown and music And always, my music channel on my radio would get interrupted by this religious programming. It was a Catholic program. But here's the way the program would start, and it would start this way. It is better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. And I heard that over and over. And even though I was not a believer, a follower of Jesus, I've heard that phrase in my head. When you get up against hopeless situations, how do you light a candle? It says here in the text, Jesus will be a light to the nations. How do you let, bring light into people's hopelessness? Now, some of you, if you, you know, again, are willing to go, go real, uh, is you're gonna say, I feel hopeless today. I feel, I am that bruised reed. I am that flickering wick. I feel that. I'm experiencing that is my life right now. When you are sent, when you and I are sent, we want to find those people. We want to help those people because we know someone who can help them, heal them, change them, bring life into their story that they never thought possible. Because here's the, you know, when we go ahead to Isaiah 61, part of my journey and being in the church and working with hopeless people is to say, I knew this person when, and now I know them 10 years later, or five years later, or 20 years later, and now they are an oak of righteousness. And so I wanna say to you Dave, if you're feeling really hopeless about your status and where you are, God will not abandon you because Jesus is incurably in love with you. He will not let you fail. Hudson said it earlier, he will complete the good work. He started a good work, and even though it feels like I am right on the edge, the cliff of despair, um, he's gonna make your life burn bright with his presence. I've watched it happen. I could regale you with some amazing stories. I could bring friends in who would love the opportunity to come in and just say, here's where I was. Here's how bad it was in my family. Here's how I failed in my career. But now, look at what God has done. You see, that's the ministry of the church. But when we judge and we dismiss, or we go, yeah, that's just, that's just too hard, or that's impossible, or that's too mess- messy, then we uh, back off and we back away. Because notice what verse four says, he will not grow faint or be discouraged. Be encouraged today, church. Jesus is not <laughs> discouraged about North Cross Church. Maybe you are, but he's not. <laughs> Don't sort of despair, don't sort of start that, you know, divine sigh of, uh, you know, got to go to church, got to congregational meeting, <sighs> you know, is look at what the text says here. Jesus is not going to discourage. Now, some of you know, uh, I guess Dean and Mark reached out to me right when we got back from being up in Cambridge, mass for a year, um, came back and said, hey, we, we need an interim pastor. I said, I won't do it, and I thought this would sort of throw them away, because if I do it, I'm only going to do it part-time. And I thought I'd get rid of them, you know, because they no, we need a full-time interim pastor. And uh, <laughs> those guys said, well, let's talk about it, you know. So we met for lunch, we talked about it, and guys, I felt called to come to North Cross. I didn't want to come. I'll be honest, I did not want to come and be here this morning Doing this, but God was calling me. He was sending me, and what I felt from the get-go is that He loves your church so much. Jesus loves His bride, and His desire is to make you beautiful and believable of who He is and what He's done. Notice what it says. I mean, you can go home and read over it. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until He is established. Justice—the word there is. Established his church to be the beautiful bright light that he created he started in 20 years ago and he's going to uh complete. And the co- and the coastlands, that's the ends of the earth, because as North Cross comes alive and grows under the next leadership uh of a pastor, and it's not that you're not alive, but just stand back and be amazed with all the good stuff that's coming your way, is that God in his kindness and mercy. And he's already done this through North Cross, but there will be parts of the world that will be affected because North Cross is here and you're a church, faithfully claiming your inheritance, that we're a royal priesthood, we're a chosen people, we're a holy nation. You see, the courage to suffer comes because you want to give in to that. You want to give yourself over to that. It's the courage to surrender to the truth of what's here is that I I am his servant because he chose me because he chose Jesus. He delights in me, which is just amazing. He continues to delight in me. He anoints me with his spirit. And then he promises me that the way to care for people is to listen, be gentle and lowly like he is, pray like crazy, and watch him restore flickering wicks. Watch their light begin to... Watch people come alive. There's nothing more thrilling to watch somebody become a Christian, but next to that is finding somebody who knows Jesus and has lost their way come back. The story of the prodigal son, wouldn't you like to, you know, it's a story, but, you know, you see the son coming back. You see him walking across the horizon and the way the father runs to meet him and runs to love him. It's thrilling, um, I have a you know strong conviction. When the church is a church, it's a church for prodigals who become alienated, detached, deconstructed. They've lost their way. But they come to a church like North Cross and go, I want back in. I want to start over. Help me find my way back to the one who saved me when I was nine years old, 10 years old. And I've been living in a foreign country for, for years and I've lost my way. Help me. Help me to find it. You know, uh, not long ago, I was talking with a guy, and he said to me, he said, Clyde, I don't know why you delighted in me, because I, I made such a mess in my life. I mean, if I told you a story, you'd go, yeah, you'd say, Clyde, why were you delighting in that guy? And the answer is, because Jesus was delighting in him. Jesus delights in him, even though he'd made a wreck of his life. And now, if I was to tell you who it is and what he's doing, you guys go, whoa. Who does that? Who is a pardoning God like thee, or who has grace so rich and free? Who is a God who rescues people who've just trashed their life through bad choices, who are followers of Jesus, but have made a mess of their stories, or are living in unbelievable suffering? Um, Jesus loves these people. He cares for them. He loves the hopeless because he became hopeless himself on the cross for you and me. He lost all hope so that we would never lose it. Let's pray.